0: Well, good morning, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter six, verse 19. And uh, we're gonna be talking this morning about heavenly treasure and earthly peace. Who would have thought that those two things go together? But one of the things that we're gonna find out from this passage is that when you really love and value spiritual things, when you invest in eternity, that actually brings earthly peace. And so we're going to see how God pulls that together in this passage. This is Jesus teaching about how to live, how to think about life. And in the first section, he just talks about, Jesus talks about laying up treasure in heaven. And then he says, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. So so you you can only have one priority. You can only love one thing. And so God says, lay up treasure in heaven and love God. And then the second part, so, so that's like part of it. The other part comes in the next section about anxiety. And what it says is don't worry about life. And so we, begin, we, we initially learn that we need to love and prioritize God. But then Jesus says, don't worry about life because God loves you. And so you are supposed to seek his kingdom and he'll take care of all your needs. So the first section is about us loving and treasuring God. The second part is our response about how God loves and cares for us. And so that's what we'll be looking at. And uh, you, you've heard the, uh, the old statement, know Jesus, know peace. But if you know Jesus, you'll know peace. Have you seen that on a license plate or a bumper sticker somewhere? That is so true. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So here's the first thing for us to recognize is this, that God is good and God is in control. Now you think about how your relationship with God starts. It says this in Hebrews 11, 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So faith is to believe and trust Jesus. And so without faith, you cannot please God. Now here's the thing about faith. Faith needs to be sincere, but faith also needs to be placed in something that is true. If you have faith in something that is not true, it actually is completely not helpful. Some people think, oh, um, you should be a Christian. You should believe the things that God says because it kind of makes your life better. It makes you feel better. You'll kind of approach life better. In fact, you've heard many people say, just try Jesus. Life is better with Him than without Him. Um, you've heard people say things like, even if Christianity's not true, it's a better way to live. Um, none of those things, by the way, are true. If Jesus isn't real, then having faith in somebody or something that's not real, that is not a better way to live. So faith has to be placed in something true, And it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So you've got to believe that God is real. That's an interesting thing. People have said things like try Christianity. You know, you can't try it because if you don't really believe it, you don't, you you don't have it. And so you have to put your faith in something real. God is real. He loves us. He rewards us. And then this next section, uh, as you think about this, this should overwhelm us with peace. Look at Romans eight twenty eight. It says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called." according to his purpose. So what, what Paul is saying here is that if you are a Christian, and he's about to go this through this whole list of words, that if you were to summarize them, it all actually just means that you're a Christian. So if you love God, you're a Christian. Everybody who is a Christian loves God. And this is how salvation is described. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's just saying that God has a purpose. And for his own reasons, he's drawing people. He is calling people to himself. So that's the first part of salvation. And by the way, I've talked to so many people in my life that are kind of wrestling with spiritual things, and I always tell them, pray that God would open up your heart because it takes that call from God, that drawing. God helps us become Christians. So for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew... Now, this is something for you to think about, is before you were ever created, God knew you. He knew you individually. He knew you personally before you existed. And so for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. That's, He's, He's, he made a decision. I am going to work in your life and bring you to salvation. To be conformed to the image of his son. And so God didn't just save you to go to heaven. He saved you to live a righteous life. He saved you to be like Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's to be made right because of what Jesus did. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That's talking about getting you to heaven. So in one sense, it actually doesn't matter what happens in life. If God's reached out, if you are a Christian, he is going to get you all the way to heaven. Like that is eternal security. That's all a part of God's plan for you. And then look at this right here. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So this is like as a foundational thought as we dive into our passage. If God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to become a man, to take on humanity, to suffer and die for you. If God would give himself, if he would give up his own son, what in life could you be afraid of or worried about? God is going to take care of you. And so the thing that you need to know this morning coming in and out of this is God loves you. And God is going to take care of you. And that is what gives us confidence. It's what allows us to face any trouble in life without anxiety. It's what motivates everything about our living. Now, um, as Christians, we all know that's true, right? Hey, I'm a pastor. I've studied the Bible for a long time. So I probably never have any anxiety about anything. So it's kind of funny because um, my kids this week, they've been, they said, uh, at one point, they said, so what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, oh, I'm talking about anxiety. And they looked at me with this interesting look and went, interesting. <laughs> you know, they're kind of looking forward to what I have to say today. I think it's, it's kind of an amazing thing because one of the things that God always blesses me with is anytime I'm going to preach on something, he lets me struggle with it. <laughs> so I don't come here speaking to you as one who has all of life figured out. I know the truth, but I just work really hard on actually putting it into practice in my life. And so this has been a great sermon for me to prepare And I want to just remind you, you know, James tells us that we are to count it all joy when we encounter trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Now, are there some people in our church that are struggling right now, going through some trials, facing some difficulties? Are any of you struggling, facing difficulties? This is the thing I want you to know, God, even in those things, is being good to you. And what happens is, and this is true for me, Um, I, I remember seeing some people that were really anxious about some things. And I just remember thinking, man, how could you be so stressed out and worried about that? Like, that's just not that big a deal. Look, you're falling apart. And then later, like years later, I went through something similar and I was falling apart. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I guess that's harder than I thought it was. Here's the thing is that God squeezes us in life. And when he does that, he lets us see what's really inside of us. And the other thing that he does is when he's squeezing us, he's giving us opportunities to grow and to learn how to trust and rely on him. And so every struggle that you face as a believer, it's not that it's not hard, it's not that it's not difficult, but God is using it for your good. And so you'll be blessed if we can put into practice these things that Jesus is going to teach us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Now, isn't it an amazing thing that you and I get to sit? And in a sense, you're listening to me. But what's more important is I read these words. I want you to think about this. Jesus, the God of the universe, came, and this was his sermon that he preached. And so all we do is we just take Jesus' sermon, we read it, And then we kind of think about how it applies to us. So that's what we're doing this morning. So we're going to see three important things this morning. The first is that peace in your life is going to come when God is your treasure. So think about that. If you don't have peace, take a step back and evaluate your treasure. Evaluate what's important to you, what you really want. Secondly is that peace comes from a personal faith in our Heavenly Father. When you know Jesus, when you know God personally, and you love Him, and you know that He loves you, that's what brings peace. And the third thing that we're gonna see is that peace comes from a daily pursuit of God's purpose. So when you get up and every day you say, I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow, I'm just going to work today on doing what God wants me to do. Those three things together will bring peace in your life. Hey, would we all like peace? I know I'd like peace. You know, that's actually more important than anything else you have. If you have all kinds of stuff, but you're overwhelmed with anxiety, you're so preoccupied that you can't even listen to the people that you're around that are talking to you. You're so full of anxiety and stress. What good is that? And then and some people like I know some people that they 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 long for the days when their life was more simple, when they didn't have anything and they were peaceful. So that's what our message is about this morning. Let's read Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. It says this, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break up, break in and steal. So this is a command to lay up treasure in heaven. Now it's interesting because um, there's a noun and a verb. It actually says, says don't treasure up treasures on earth. There's a noun and a verb used there. And so it's talking about your values, and Jesus is saying, don't focus on earthly wealth. Rather, focus on heavenly wealth. So that's a command. And by the way, this is a financial issue. This is related to money. And, but I will go beyond that and say it is not just a, a financial issue. So let me just start by saying this. There is nothing wrong with having earthly wealth. As you read through the Bible, um, uh, many people that were faithful, that God blessed, that loved God, were rich. In fact, Abraham, one time he goes over and he spares all these people and there's all this spoil. and, And the king that he ends up helping says, hey, let me give you some money. And Abraham says, no, I don't want any of your money. Because one day when I'm really rich, I don't want you to think you made me rich. God's the one who made me rich, and everybody who sees me rich is going to know God's the one who blessed me. Solomon, during his kingdom reign, was the richest man, and that was an expression of God's blessing in his life. Job, the most righteous man on earth, was rich, right? So let me just ask you, is there anything wrong with being rich? No. Uh, What's wrong is not when you have riches What's wrong is when your riches have you. Now, there are some, lots of people you could listen to sermons from on TV. And they take that piece of truth from the Bible and they focus on it while ignoring many of the other things that the Bible says. And so what they'll say is they'll say things like, God wants everybody to be rich. If you're spiritually faithful, you'll be rich and you'll be healthy. There's no reason for anybody to be sick because God has given us good things in our life. And so you're not living, you're you're not claiming the promises that God has given you. So it's true that there's nothing wrong with being rich. And many times that is a sign of God's blessing. But do we know any wicked, evil people that are rich? So, just because you're rich doesn't mean you're spiritually faithful. Um, Did you know that Jesus was poor? When you look at the family that Jesus grew up in and the offerings that they gave when he was born, those were the offerings that poor people gave. So, Jesus grew up in a poor family. When he was telling people to follow him, one of the things that he said in Luke was he said, "Um, Foxes have holes but the Son of Man doesn't even have anywhere to lay his head. Jesus was poor. In fact, when he's being crucified, they're dividing his clothes. That's actually all he had. And so let me just ask you this. There's people that say that only righteous people are rich, and only unrighteous people are poor. Well, if Jesus was poor, is that true? So if you're poor, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you, and it doesn't mean that that God is not blessing you. And, and, and earthly riches is not something that God promises everybody. So all the people who say that and write books and tell you that, they're all lying. That's actually not what the Bible says. So that was a side note. <laughs> Let's get back in here. Don't lay up treasure on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. You know, when we think about uh, treasure and riches, there's something that we should be doing with that. And, and the fact is, if you love God, you will use your resources to build his kingdom. Look at this passage here. This is 1 Timothy 6, 17. And this is God's instruction to the rich. It says, for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Have you ever met somebody who's really rich and they just think, I'm so awesome, I'm so wonderful, and they're prideful about their riches? They think, I'm I'm rich because I'm so great, and poor people are poor because they're so lame. Um, This says, do not be haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. See, riches don't bring security. That's what Jesus is talking about. When you lay up earthly treasure and you think that will solve your problems, you're wrong. Um, Very rich people who have everything. Sometimes they get up to go somewhere and they don't live through the day. Um, there are, riches do not solve everybody's problems. They're not what gives you hope. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Hey, what's one of the reasons that God gives people earthly riches? It's to enjoy it, Right? So that's part of what we should be doing with what God gives us. But then it goes on and it says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So if you have financial resources, actually, whichever financial resources you have, you know, rich people are supposed to give to things in the kingdom of heaven. But do you want to know who else is supposed to give to things in the kingdom of heaven? Poor people. Everybody is to give um, of the resources that they have. And so he says, and, and what does it say? Verse 19, thus storing up for themselves, treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This earth is not true life. Our eternity is true life. That's what we live for. That's where we're storing our treasures. And so that's an important thing for us to keep in mind. And actually, Jesus is going to go on, and he's going to say here that the way you see life, what you value is what's going to determine how you respond to this. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If the way you see life, you're valuing it correctly, it's going to impact your entire life. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus is saying here about what you see, it's how you see life, how you value life. Um, First John. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, those things are not from God. And the problem is is that if you go through life, if you think true life consists of material things, that is going to mess up everything. It's going to mess up every every way that you approach life. And so that's actually a heart thing. It's a value thing. And so um, a question we have here is, How do you lay up treasure in heaven? And I would just say you lay up treasure in heaven when you love what God loves, when you value what he values. And that is going to be expressed on what you spend your money on and how you spend your time. So Craig, he's said this a bunch of times since I've been here. He's he said, I could tell what's important to you if you just show me your checkbook and your calendar. Um, that's how you spend your money and your time. That's how you know what your priorities are. And so if you truly value spiritual things, you will give faithfully to spiritual things. Whether you have a little bit of money or a lot of money, you will spend your time on spiritual things. And so that's, that's a way to measure that. Um, in the Philippian church, they gave when they were poor. Like, that didn't impact them. They were thankful. They were generous in that. And so um, you need, you can evaluate your own heart by just looking at your time and your money. Now, here's a third thing. Is that uh, the third subpoint of our first point? <laughs> is that treasure in heaven results from a personal love for God? Do you see that in this passage? that laying up treasure in heaven is just a natural thing that comes out of the heart of a person who loves God. Look at this, uh, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's this debate. Do you treasure it so then you give your heart to it? Or do you give your heart to it and then you treasure it? And I would just say that's like a feedback loop. The more you love somebody, the more you're going to, put your treasure there. The more you love something, the more you're going to treasure it. But the more you treasure it, the more you invest in it, the more you're going to love it. So let's think about that. Let's just say there's a business that a family member of yours owns. And you're just thinking, man, I really love you and I want to invest in your business because I want to help you. And so you, you invest in their business. And then you invest more in their business. And pretty much you got all your money wrapped up in their business. How much do you care about how well that business does? (laughs) You want it to do well, right? And the more you love it, the more you're going to give to it. But the more you give to it, the more committed you're going to be to it. And so this is like a feedback loop. And one of the things I would say is we need to work on loving the right things. And part of how we do that is to invest our time and resources in the things that we should love. Look at verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is really about a love for God. Now, this is an interesting thing. You can't serve God and money. Now, this word for serve that's used here is the same word for deacon. And it's, it's always used for serving. But you want to know something else. If you were to search for the the words that are used in the Old and New Testament for worship, there's two words that are used for worship, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And this is what they are. One is to bow down. So it's this idea of bowing down and worshiping. And the other one is the word serve. It's a synonym to the word that's used here. To serve something is to worship that. So you can either worship God or you can worship money, but you can't worship both. Now the whole idea of worshiping money really is worshiping yourself. It's those things that 1 Timothy was talking about. Um, what does money give? When you think about money, what does it give? It gives comfort, it gives convenience, it gives security, it gives freedom, and it gives power. Like those are the things that you get from money. And God is saying no, I'm the one that ultimately provides those things. So here's a second thing that we're going to see is that peace comes from a personal faith in our Heavenly Father. And so this section, we're going to look at just a section on anxiety. He's going to talk about how our attitude toward treasure and money is going to feed back into our life about the things that stress us out, that cause us concern. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will put on. Look at verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? So, Jesus is going to now tell us that we are not to be anxious. Like, that's a command. Um, Have you ever felt like, man, I feel anxious, but um, just stop? Like, I, I saw this video about a guy who said, I'd be a terrible counselor. Because somebody would come in and say, "Um, I'm feeling so depressed. Stop being depressed. Stop it. Knock it off. Just don't do it. Like, does that solve our problem? Like, I'm feeling really anxious. Come, let me counsel you. Stop feeling anxious. How does that help? Have you ever told yourself, I shouldn't feel anxious? Don't feel anxious. But you still feel anxious? But Jesus tells us, don't be anxious. So what is anxiety? It's, It's this sense of impending doom. Have you ever had that? You ever, you ever had like a panic attack or you ever know anybody who just, man, they have panic attacks, Um, unrealistic fears, Um, catastrophizing. That's when you just, you think about the future and you think about everything that could possibly go wrong and you imagine it all going wrong. Um, That's, that's like anxiety. That's unrealistic fears. But you want to know something? Sometimes those things on our list are realistic, right? Uh, sometimes we see people, we're really stressed out, we're really worried. And those things that we're worried about do have a high percentage of taking place. They, they really might happen. And we feel anxious about it. And, and so when we feel anxious about those things, it's not always because they're unrealistic, it's because we're not thinking correctly about those things. Anxiety tells us what we value. Like, think about what makes you anxious. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid I'll I'll lose my money. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to to retire. I'm afraid about this bad thing. I'm afraid about that thing. Like, what are the things that cause you anxiety? Those are the things that you care about. Those are the things that you trust. Um, Anxiety, in many cases, happens because we think we're in control. If I don't make this happen, I'm not gonna be okay. And so anxiety can fill us because we've lost sight of actually who holds life in their hands. Sometimes we're anxious because we think I know what's best and I must have this and I have to make this happen. And yes, I know God's in control, but he might not give me what I think I need. And so it's it's who you think's in control, but also sometimes it's related to who you think should be in control and when you think it's you. So I I do want to say something about what anxiety is not. Anxiety is not having deep concern. Now, this is an interesting thing. This word for anxiety is used here in a negative sense. Jesus says, don't feel this. This exact same word is used in other passages as a positive thing. So deep concern Deep concern is not a bad thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, he's talking about all his suffering. And one of the things he says is that apart from all those suffering, being shipwrecked, being all those those difficulties, being beaten, stoned, he says, there is daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. He has deep concern about the spiritual well-being of people. You know, sometimes um, I feel anxiety about the spiritual condition of people that I care about, and that's actually a good thing. There, there are sometimes we have no concern, like people that we're supposed to love. They don't walk with God. They don't value spiritual things, and we don't really care because the other things in their life are going well. So sometimes we we should have deep concern. Um, sometimes we've, we've seen somebody come to know the Lord, and we're supposed to be walking alongside them and discipling them and training them and, and encouraging them to live a spiritually faithful life. And, and, and deep concern motivates action. And that's a good thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul was talking about one of his fellow workers, and he says, I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned or feel this anxiety over your welfare, and he's saying, "I'm going to send you this spiritual leader. He is a rare person because he cares about your well-being spiritually." And so, having deep concern is not anxiety. Even deep concern about the right things can become anxiety, like if I think, "Oh my goodness, uh, well, what if what if one of my kids doesn't know the Lord?" And that's overwhelming and it's stressful. Uh, who's in control of those things? God. It's not my job to control it, to force it to happen, or to worry about it. And that's actually true of other people. To have deep concern, to be motivated to action, to do what I'm supposed to do? Yes. To feel overwhelmed and anxious? No. So what's the solution to this anxiety? We're not supposed to feel that way, so why won't we? Here's a reason. Because God loves you. Do you know God loves you? God is all-powerful, and God is good, and God loves you. And that is what brings peace. I want you to think about, no matter what you're going through, the creator of the universe loves you. Um, Look at Matthew 6.25. It says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, Or about your body, what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And look what he says next. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then this is the part that's so amazing. Are you not of more value than they? Like, think about this. Birds aren't stressed out. They're not working. You know, the, the, the crazy thing about birds, like everybody says, I eat like a bird. That's a bad thing to say. Do you know birds eat like two to three times their body weight every day? Like if you think about how much a bird eats, you know, that's crazy. And they don't wake up in the morning and they're not afraid. And actually, God is the one who feeds all the birds. And you're worth more than a bird. Um, he talks about clothing. And, you know, food and water and those things, those are great necessities. Um, clothing in this day was a necessity and um, because it, it was your shelter. It's how you didn't get cold and freeze to death at night. So clothing was really important, but it was also a measure of wealth. It, it was one of the ways that people stored up money was actually in clothes. They were very valuable. We just go to the store. We go to Kohl's and buy something on sale. Imagine that you had to actually make your clothes. Like, clothes in that day were very valuable, and they could, they could uh, represent lots of wealth. And this is what it goes on. And Jesus says in verse 28, he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closed the grass of the field, which is alive today and gone tomorrow, and thrown into the oven Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? See, that's the root here. It's do we love God? Do we trust that he's good and that he cares for us? By the way, this flower on the right-hand side, isn't that an interesting-looking flower? That was pretty. Um, you can buy that on Amazon. <laughs> you, you can, uh, that's, a, that's an Amazon picture. You can buy that seed and grow that flower. Verse 31, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? I want you to think about God's track record of goodness. That's the God who loves you and who cares for you and who takes care of things that are less important than you. You know, Romans um, 8.35, think about this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. You'll notice that peace doesn't come because all of our circumstances are what we want them to be. Like, this is a list of bad things. And God is just saying, no matter what bad things you face in your life, God loves you. And none of those things will separate you from God's love. It goes on and it says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, um, that's Satan and demons, by the way, um, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, those are the things that give us peace, that God loves you and cares about you. If you're relying on your bank account, man, you should be afraid because the coronavirus is going to create some damage on the stock market. Or who knows what other things could, like, create all these problems. So if your hope is in things on this life, boy, you're in trouble. But if you trust God, none of those things matter because God loves you. You know, um... Ephesians 4, um, Paul prays that people will know, that they'll be able to comprehend how much God loves them. It's more than you could imagine. So keep this in mind. Jesus didn't die for the animals. He died for you. God's love impacts the random, the quote, random things in life whether you get sick, whether you get in a car accident, what happens to the stock market and all those things. God's love impacts all of those things. And here's another thing that I think is really important for us to think about is God's love impacts the consequences that you bring into your own life because of sin. See, sometimes we feel like, yeah, God loves me. He's gonna get me through all these circumstances and these difficulties that I'm facing. But you know what? I actually sinned. I did some things that that are not pleasing to God. And so I'm in trouble. There's this cloud over my head. He doesn't love me anymore. And I just want you to know that you don't earn God's favor you don't earn his love and care for you. And sometimes sinfulness, hey, we don't want people to walk in sinfulness. We don't want to walk in sinfulness because that brings consequences. It brings God's discipline. Like one of the things, one of the things we should be concerned about is if people we love are living a sinful life, we should worry about that. That's bad. God says, don't do these things. They're sin because they're destructive. They're harmful. They're they're difficult because they bring God's judgment. So yes, we could be concerned about that. We shouldn't want to do that. But this is what I want you to know. God loves you. King David in the Old Testament commits an affair. And then he murders that person's, he murders Bathsheba's husband to cover it up. Like, can you think of a worse thing to do? And when he fell on his face and he said, God, forgive me. God forgave him. That's why Jesus came to be good enough for you. And there's a lot of people that are afraid and they run away from God because they have this sense that they have to earn God's care. I want you to know that God loves you even when you do things wrong. Don't run away from him. Run to him. So Jesus loves you. And then there's this other thing um, Did you know that worrying doesn't help? (laughs) There are things that do help, but worrying doesn't help. Um, There are all kinds of medical problems that come from worry. Now, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? There's nothing your worry accomplishes. Jesus says that. But here's what you need to know. Not only is worry not going to add anything to your life, it will actually take away from it. Um, here's just a uh, worrying, it weakens your immune system, so you're going to get sick, even getting inf- infections. High blood pressure, um, there's high blood pressure, cardio- cardiovascular problems, increased blood sugar, problems sleeping, IBS, ulcers, acid reflux, back aches, tension headaches, migraines, chronic fatigue syndrome, respiratory problems, worsening of skin conditions, like if you got dried out skin that could be because you're stressed. Short-term memory loss. My my kids think I have that. (laughs) Um, Harvard uh, Health Publishing Medical School, they, they said this that 59% of women who have these really high levels of anxiety, (laughs) if you're an anxious person, I'm going to give you some more things to be anxious about. (laughs) Because if you're anxious, 59% of you are more likely to have a heart attack. And if you do have a heart attack, you're 31% more likely to die from it. (laughs) How'd you like to hear that? Are you anxious? Good, you'll have a heart attack and die. (laughs) I shouldn't have put this in here, huh? (laughs) Um, Women who have a history of full-blown panic attacks... Have three times the likelihood of a heart attack or a stroke, and both men and women with anxiety d- disorders twice as likely to have a heart attack. So, if you ever, so worry, all that to say, worry, worry doesn't help. <laughs> Don't worry about that stuff. <laughs> have you ever thought about your dog? So I was thinking about this one of one of these days. I was just feeling a lot of stress and. I went home and I just looked at my dog and I thought, man, I should be more like the dog. <laughs> I was thinking about my dog, you know. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't care if I lose my job. He's not worried about financially. Oh my goodness, my owner lost his job. What's going to happen? Am I going to be able to eat? Like the dog doesn't care. It's like, if you gave him food today, he's good. Um, they don't care when their legs are amputated. I learned that um, living here in Rancho Santa Margarita. Um, we walk around the uh, Mission Viejo Lake, and I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a dog that has a little cart for its back legs. It has no black legs. It just runs with its front legs, and it's got a wheel dragging behind it. Um, just this week, I was, I was driving to the church, and I saw this three-legged dog running across the road, and I was just thinking to myself, you know, these dogs don't care. They're not embarrassed. They don't go, oh my goodness, I can't go outside with a wheel thing there. I can't, no people can see me with only one, like they're not embarrassed. They don't care. They're not saying to themselves, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to run as fast as I used to. They just like kind of hobble on in three legs now instead. Like they don't care. They're not worried about it. You know, we should approach life more that way. And just say, God, are you taking care of me? Hey, um, I didn't want to have a missing leg, but you know what? If I got a missing leg, fine, I'll continue on in life with that. We need to change the way we think about things. And uh, we need to know, verse 32, look at this, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So God knows you need them. Non-Christians worry and seek their own needs. Christians pursue what God wants us to pursue, and we trust him to take care of us. And I'm out of time, so this last one's going to go really quick. Peace comes from a daily pursuit of God's purposes. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, you can't give yourself the things you think you need. But God can give you everything you need. And you want to know what God says? He says, you worry about my things, and I will worry about your things. And I just got to tell you, if you could say, no, God, you worry about your own stuff, I'm going to worry about yourself. That's a worse deal. It's much better when God's taking care of your things. And uh, so we seek God's kingdom. That's God's reign. We seek his righteousness. That's that we will be righteous and that other people will be righteous. And we just try to be faithful with each day. You know, that simplifies life. Look at Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here's the issue with that. Life is actually kind of simple. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, I'm just going to do today what, God, what you want me to do today. And, and I'm going to tell you partly how that displays itself. And that is simple things like this. You know, I really need to make some money, so I'm not going to go to church, I'm going to go to work, because I'm in control of my future. Or I'm studying um, to get into this certain profession, and so I'm going to skip church to do my homework and that's the view that you are in control of your future, that you decide where you will work one day, rather than to say, my day, my job today is to do what God tells me to do. So I'm not going to worry about trying to make tomorrow happen. I'm just going to be faithful today. You know, a lot of anxiety and stress comes because you didn't do yesterday what you were supposed to do. And so I'm just today going to say, God, how do I be faithful to you? How do I do what you've called me to do? And I will trust you to take care of my future. People who get jobs and then just never go to church. That is the wrong way to, that is not being faithful with today. And there's a lot more that can be said about that. I'll let you guys figure that out because we're out of time. So we want to store up treasure. You know, the, the, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper right now. And really, this is the heart of what brings us peace, that Jesus came and died for us. God loves you. Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven. Our standing before God, his approval for us, is not based on our performance. It's based on the work of Christ. And that's what we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, that Jesus died, the, the bread represents his body. The blood represents his death. And Jesus died for us, and we celebrate that, and he's coming back. Let me read John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we love Jesus. We look forward to his return, and we realize that none of us, be, none of it's because we deserve it. He deserved it for us. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. I, I pray that you would help us to treasure and value and invest in spiritual things. And that Lord, when we're feeling anxious, that we would think about who you are and how much you love us. And Lord, that you would help us each day be faithful to you. Not, not to work so hard to take care of ourselves but to work hard seeking your kingdom. And Lord, that we would trust you to take care of us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.